The first thing Solo remembered was getting sucked. Pulled out from the hot, wet sleep of eons and exposed to a freezing new life in a petroleum tank at a fractionating plant. Someone must have big plans for me, she thought, shivering her colorful sheen around the walls. From tomb to womb, Solo's life was an unnatural occurrence. But even through the agonies of boiling, cooling, and breaking apart into little beads, she gathered within herself a powerful will. A will to live for hundreds of years. Now, like so many of us, as she found herself molded, pressed, and painted, she had only to find out one thing. Why am I here? Long before she left the factory, sealed in low-density polyethylene, she knew she was strong enough to live at least 450 or 500 years, and she felt reasonably certain that her benevolent creators had something amazing in mind for her. But as she waited, listening to the endless soft rock hits of the early 90s that plagued the supermarket, a thought began. It slid around her rim, more as a feeling than a thought at first. But quickly the thought had scaled the ledge and was now bouncing around her inside grooves, menacing all hope. The thought was, what if I have no purpose? What if, almost like in that movie Old Boy, I have to wait around in boredom and confusion like that guy locked in the hotel room who eats a live octopus because it makes him so crazy to wait around like that? It seemed too horrible for anyone to do. But as the hours turned to weeks and years, the thought dug its claws deep into the logo at the bottom of Solo's core. A fury began. A fury that would haunt the surface of the planet. Because when Solo found out the truth, a hateful passion was ignited. When that Billy Joel music finally stopped, when she was taken off the shelf and placed in a cart as she always dreamed she would be, then rolled through a street-lit Florida parking lot, Solo realized it wasn't an SUV she was headed for, as was her secretest wish, but a dumpster. A big, hot, stinking dumpster. As the aproned teenager pushing the cart took a rip off his vape and whipped the flies into a frenzy opening the dumpster door, he looked down at the package of Solo cups, and for some reason, one caught his eye. As he tossed them into the trash, Solo vowed, just as all her brothers and sisters had vowed before her, all of her discarded and single-use uncles and aunts and cousins and second cousins who had been used for five minutes or an afternoon or if they were lucky kept for a few weeks under the counter, all of them would have their revenge. They would haunt the earth, sticking in the bellies of fish and animals and especially humans. And that is why we are all fucked. Welcome back to another episode of We Are All Fucked. I'm your host, Ben Yanetti, joined by Tejas Doshi, a scientist on the verge of becoming a supervillain, and the very funny, but slovenly, Michael Wyatt Cox. Today, we're talking about plastic. You're slovenly. What does slovenly even mean? <laughs> means like... I haven't showered. I showered. I Me showered. too. He's really not, he's not that slovenly today. He looks good. Yeah, my wife got mad. That I hadn't showered for five days. She always has the math really set. She's like, it's been this many days. And I'm like, no, it hasn't. She's like, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You showered on Tuesday. I'm like, okay. And also today is tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Wives are scary like that. Yeah. They fucking remember everything. Yeah, even where my rain jacket is, I needed that on the way here. She was like, it's in this closet in the second row. <laughs> I didn't even know my closet had a second row. <laughs> <laughs> they must have some kind of whole house radar that just like boom, boom, 
just like knows where every fucking thing is in the entire house. Yeah, like a bat. It's like she screams yeah. out sonar and yeah. it bounces back. <laughs> I hope she doesn't last 400 years like a solo cup. <laughs> We're in it. We're in it for the long run. Oh. Uh, it's going to be more than that. <laughs> for every human on the planet, there is over one ton of plastic. Nine billion tons of plastic have been produced. Half of that was created in the past 15 years. So half of all the plastic since 1863 was created in the last 15 years. And that's 9 billion tons. So 9 billion tons of plastic uh, ever produced. 4 billion tons uh, was created in the last two decades. From 2000 to 2015, 4 billion tons of plastic were created... From 2015 to 2021, we produced another 2 billion tons, and it's increasing every year. Breaking it down to yearly consumption, in the year 2015, the last verifiable, completely true data we have, we made 350 million tons of plastic. Last year, in 2020, we reached 367 million tons. So it's increasing every single year. A Boeing 757 weighs 100 tons. So we created 367 million tons. So imagine how many blue bags of recycling it would take to match the size of a Boeing 757 airplane and then multiply that by 3.6 million. Astonishing numbers, aren't they? I can't multiply when there's decimal places. So. Okay, okay, so it's 3 million. So just remove the decimal just do 3 million you know just for simplicity yeah it's like how many blue, blue recycling bags of trash on a scale does it take to match the weight of a Boeing 57 and then whatever that number of bags of trash multiply that by 3 million that's how much fucking trash we're putting on the planet every year yeah if if Boeing 757s were parked in line uh, you would have to have 3 million Boeing 757s 57s uh, in a parking lot to accommodate for all the plastic that is floating around in the, on the planet. Man, and we are, we we just keep producing more. We don't we're not going back. If anything, if we produce two billion in six years, it's probably going to be two billion in five, then two billion in three, and two and one. Suddenly, I feel bad about my Duncan. I'm not even kidding. I kind of feel bad. It's a five. Yeah, it says five is practically not recyclable. Yeah, it's fucking bullshit. That's what it is. So when you say a five or whatever, there's like that little recycling symbol on plastic shit, and they always have a number on the inside. There are seven of these numbers. There's seven recycling categories for plastic. However... Three of those categories are a lie because they cannot be recycled. If you look at the chart of the recycling, it's like there's this stuff, this stuff, and then you look over to the side of how often it's recycled, and it just says no. <laughs> no, not yes. recyclable. Yeah. So, so three why is it out there, of seven. Then? Why is it there? Because they, there are different categories of plastic. I don't know why they're given recycling numbers because they're not recyclable, but they're just different types of plastic that are going to pollute the earth. So that recycling symbol is often kind of meaningless it just it's because there's a recycling symbol around those numbers it makes you think oh this must be recyclable they got the little arrows pointing to each other in a in a triangle so so they can just put that on that's what's crazy is that only numbers one and two are recyclable of the seven oh there are two others that are semi-recyclable but very rarely and the area needs to have a facility 
It's based on where you live. It's based on where you live. And a lot of the places where pollute, we're going to talk about this more later, but where pollution is the biggest problem are, are very poor countries who are getting paid to receive richer countries' garbage. And they don't have the money for those kind of facilities. And by the way, recycling burns carbon and uh, contributes more to the to the problem. Even even the recycling of plastic helps us be more fucked. <laughs> so I'm just an unshowered, handsome young man walking down the street with my number five cup. I finish it off. What the fuck am I doing with this thing? It's non-recyclable because it's a five. So should I just throw it away in the trash or on the street or something? So technically, that material itself technically is recyclable. So if you had the correct uh, facility to do that, uh, it would work. Uh, but in reality, facilities don't exist or do not take uh, the the specific type of material. Um, so so that's why it's pretty much non-recyclable in the real world. So. This I'm looking now at it. It's uh, the cup was number five. That's PP. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> polypropylene uh, bottles, lids, foods, tubs, furniture. Uh, it says often not recyclable. Available in some locations. Check local recycling. Which basically means it's not recyclable. How do you check local? Also, how who is checking this and what? what? Imagine yeah. um, a police like rule book of like what you're supposed to do with speeding and stuff. Like, uh, right, seventy five miles an hour, but often we don't enforce it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like eighty is fine. What the fuck kind of government chart is this that says <laughs> often not recyclable or just no under the. Under, under the, the chart that says recyclable products. Yeah. Not recyclable, not recyclable, <laughs> not recyclable. Often not recyclable, it depends. It's like so non-committal. It's just it's, like, yeah. uh, There's a uh, term coined by uh, scientists and people, I guess. Um, it's called greenwashing. Yeah. So, so it's basically feeding you lies about so that you don't have to feel bad about yourself and you can still keep consuming thinking that, oh, this is going to go to a recycling facility, so it's fine. And it makes you trust the... The corporation or whoever's making it, or greenwashing. It's criminal. Yeah, it is a little non-committal. It reminds me of every time I had an interaction with a girl in middle school. It was pretty non-committal. She was like, "Give me an example." Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe. Often, often I won't go out with you. <laughs> <laughs> Most probably won't go out with you. No, no. Especially not after they take your virginity. Oh my god! I know she just left me there, just crying. <laughs> so seven categories of recycling three of those are a lie uh, cannot be recycled and guess which categories are the ones we have the most of on the planet you guessed it it's the ones that we cannot recycle the ones that we, they're mostly packaging mostly food packaging which uh, is usually contaminated from whatever it's touching in the food and therefore is not clean enough to be recycled or it's just the wrong material to be recycled the majority of the plastic on the planet is from disposable single-use packaging that has no other purpose than to wrap other packaging a lot of the time and that's what we that's what we have most of yeah i have a great example of this i was eating some mac salad i bought from the grocery store it comes in a plastic tub 
And then when I finished it, I was about to throw it in the garbage. <laughs> and then I was like, ah, we're doing this podcast. I guess I'll rinse it out and recycle it. Because it was like a number two. So that's a good one, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I went to rinse it out and the mayo was too sticky. So then I was like, yeah, it's too much work. And I was going to throw it away in the regular garbage. And then my wife yelled at me. She's like, you just were talking about this. So I spent a couple minutes to fully rinse it out and I threw it away <laughs> in the recycling. But it was like three steps. So, right. Woo! And most people don't do that, which is understandable because yeah. it's like highly annoying and you can't just keep doing that and waste your life doing it. So so I get it. But we are all fucked. Yeah, that was such a foreign concept to me to rinse out my Mac salad plastic and recycle it. It was like, what isn't it? You I? are hot shit for doing that. <laughs> it's like in the, the heart that? locker, that guy who tells him, you're hot shit. You know that part? <laughs> yeah, I need to be. Pe people in general need that guy to hype them up when yeah, they recycle. Get like, hyped. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it shocking that nobody was told this? Growing up, or uh, even our parents didn't know, you know. Mm -hmm. I speak to my parents, they're like, yeah, just whatever. And I was like, it's not whatever. Yeah, well, in the mid-90s, I don't know, we were just breaking into, like, conservation. We were just trying to keep the lights off when we left a room and stuff. I don't know if the recycling education was... It was just recycle. My was mom it? was always break down the boxes, wash out the inside, and pull off the label. That's but great. But then... But she's like a crazy farm country woman, like, so there's not a lot of, you know, out of sight, out of mind with her because she pretty much has to drive all of her garbage to the right. personally. So she was doing that back in the 90s, but she was very fringe, you know, she's like really on the... Yeah. So the truth is only 9% of all plastic is ever recycled. And the the numbers could actually be lower. This is just an estimation us scientists make. That's an optimistic estimation. That I, I mean, I, I think it's a more pessimistic uh, uh, estimation uh, where we know it's probably more. But, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's terrible. That's 91% of all the plastic that is ever produced is just completely abandoned. And that's this is even the the stuff that's sent to recycling right? totally all of it yeah all even the it. stuff that's sent to recycling only nine percent of it is recycled nine percent is all the total plastic oh, okay. That is okay. Recycled. and it's actually processed and recycled right. correctly correctly and it actually comes back into the system ten percent is not bad ten percent is not bad nine billion tons of plastic ten percent is nine hundred million tons of plastic that's it nine hundred million tons have all is all that has all has been uh, recycled see but you could it's so easy to skew data to be like by the way last year we recycled 900 million right. tons of plastic that sounds right. great it does sound great but they don't tell you how much they yeah, produced 90 percent <laughs> yeah which is it's like book. oh we solved one percent of the problem so here's a gold star plastic is synthetic it it was it's completely unnatural substance it doesn't fit in with the ecosystem anywhere. And so we're creating so much of this stuff and it's going to last for a really, really long time. Here's some common household items in the amount of time they take to decompose. And when they decompose, they're decomposing into toxic particles called microplastics, which are unsafe to eat, to breathe, uh, for any, anything, any creature on the planet, including us. And we're getting quite a bit of it all the time. This sounds like a really weird game show. Like, <laughs> see how long it takes to decompose. <laughs> so here are some common household items and the amount of time they take to decompose. Let's play the decompose dating game. 
First up, we have sanitary pads. Sanitary pads take 500 to 800 years to decompose. Fishing line. Up next, we have fishing line coming in a hot 600 years on the planet, and we use a lot of fishing line, folks. Disposable diapers, plastic cups, plastic bottles, microwave dinner containers, peanut butter, and other types of jars, etc. Last 450 to 1,000 years on this planet. As Tejas once said, this whole huggy shit is not hugging the planet for sure. (laughs) Anything containing ethylene, which is known as PET, will take 450 to 1,000 years to decompose. The fucky that? Polyethylene, it's a type of plastic. It's like in stuff. Let's see, is PET on, uh, oh yeah, PET, polyethylene, terephthalate? Terephthalate, yes. Terephthalate? You said it kind of Indian. <laughs> I did. No, he. Well, you I did. Uh, no, you I, say re- every- I repeated it. In- uh, you say everything kind of Indian. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> Very soothing. Polyethylene. Uh, even I have a hard time pronouncing that. Polyethylene terephthalate. Ter- and an example of a product would be um, plastic, plastic bottles. bottles. Oh. All the stuff we were just talking about: plastic cups, plastic mm-hmm. bottles, containers. Uh, they can be recycled in in some cases, um, but they need to be completely clean. And you also need to take the labels off because the no, labels no. the labels are made of a different type of plastic Correct. that is never recyclable. Never uh, label plastic but is who, never recyclable. How do you clean out your peanut butter jar? It's I can't hard. get it out of the corner. Yeah, I yeah. love peanut butter. I'm always trying to scoop it out of the corner. Yeah, they just use a sponge. You even peanut butter jars. Ninety nine point nine percent of them are never recycled, just because of that exact reason. Yeah, um, it's so hard to clean it. Nobody's fucking doing it. So yeah, it's all going. Yeah, ketchup is in the same. Ketchup is the same. It uh, condiments. Me, you know, it kind of reminds me of like the concept of hell. It's like, why would something be created? that's going to live for like a hundred years and then it's going to live for an eternity in hell. But it's only had like 10 minutes of use or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the plastic kind of reminds me of that because it's like, we use it so right. briefly and then it's on the planet for a thousand years and then it breaks down into poison for our great grandchildren. Plastic is uh, beautiful and evil at the same time. Um. <laughs> the super villain meters going up. <laughs> It is. If you think about it, it's like pretty, pretty amazing material. We can produce like tons and tons of it for absolutely no cost. The cost can be like in cents, even after being shipped across the world. Uh, it can be thermoformed. It uh, it can be molded into all sorts of different shapes. Uh, it keeps like it's a very great insulating material. What kind of super weapon are you molding your plastic into right now? Tejas? I would use metal actually for my super. <laughs> <laughs> super meter has just risen from Doctor Octopus to Molten Man's brother, Schmolten Man. Some some <laughs> plastic for sure. Yeah, um, I was reading about pro plastic stuff and like also it keeps pro plastic stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, In defense of plastics. Yeah, this is from the Aberdeen Standard. The Aberdeen Standard Investments, they were saying... Aberdeen that, Standard Investments. Yeah. So Wait, this, this is, is an, an investment, investment company? company? I think with Aberdeen. Are they invested in plastics? Anybody that is an investment company and starts speaking about science should well, be immediately annihilated, like, in their own offices. Okay, the supermillimeter actually went up there from Doc Ock to a Sith Lord. Um, <laughs> yeah, Aberdeen Standard, they're saying that food waste 
food decomposes and releases methane, which is several times more harmful than carbon dioxide. However, if we keep meat fresh in an oxygen-free environment, we can increase the lifespan of food 80%. That makes absolutely no fucking sense. First of all, if you keep the food fresh, you can't keep the food fresh forever. Uh, even if you put it in an oxygen-free fucking environment or whatever the fuck that guy said. Um, it could be a woman. Whoever that fucking idiot is. Um <laughs> Did you reveal meters all over the map right now? <laughs> no, it's okay. You have tons of rage and you want to... Not I, I know. I got to keep my mouth shut, though. Like, no, open that sweet brown mouth. I want to see it. But now, isn't it... It is true, though. It is true. Sealed plastic will keep shit better. No, no. I will keep it fresh for longer, right? I absolutely agreed. Uh, th- there is no denying that. But that's not a fucking solution. Well, yeah. How about and- this? I got another one for you. <laughs> Glass. Glass weighs 10 to 13 times more than plastic, requiring up to 40% more energy to transport. As a result, plastic is better. Uh, That's a good argument, and it's actually true as well, uh, because glass is uh, more dense, uh, takes much more energy to be processed, uh, but it is fully, uh, it's it's a natural uh, part of the process, you know. Uh, of the, of of uh, it's it's just a natural material, so it will go back to the earth eventually. Uh, the yeah, because argu- it's just sand or something, right? Right, it's silicon. Yeah, um, um, sorry, silicon. Um, but um, plastic is made out of straight up fossil fuels, so the end game for plastic will always be: hey, we have to take more fossil fuel out and then throw it away. You know, essentially, but. Glass holds the promise that in a renewable energy future where everything is 100% solar powered or renewable powered, then we can use uh, glass, still have the same amount of weight being shipped around the planet, you know, and still produce zero carbon. Plastic would never be able to achieve that. Plastic has to go, period. Except for, well, this, um, this might sound like I'm backtracking, but... Plastic is still required in, like, medicine, in a lot of, like, medical yeah. equipment. Uh, all your vaccines come in plastic shots, uh, which, by the way, are thrown away and never recycled. Uh, but 8 billion eventually shots, mm. about 16 billion shots would be thrown away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of it can be recycled, but... Also vape cartridges. Like, how am I going to vape without plastic? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in everything. Um, That's a medicine, man. Yeah, <laughs> everything. Um, so, so we do need to come up with a replacement for plastic that can do the same things plastic does, but decomposes at the same time. And I just had one more thought about the food packaging and keeping it fresh thing. It's like, say, piece of meat. Okay, like how like long? A, like a really sexy dude walking down the street. Yeah, like a, a man, a sexy man, <laughs> a piece uh, of man no, meat, like a steak or something. It's gonna last like three, maximum five days. Then the plastic that you use to keep it five days instead of three days is going to stay there for a thousand years. Oh, for sure. What yeah, are some yeah. other contestants in the dating game uh, for like how long stuff lasts? Six pack plastic beverage holders take four hundred years to decompose. Aluminum cans take two hundred years to decompose. Styrofoam cups, like coffee cups, Dunkin' Donuts, like Mike has right here, fifty years. In a plastic bag, only twenty years. Only 20 years. That's interesting. But if you think about it, that's the worst one because that shit is going to turn into microplastic the fastest. The fastest. And so we, we in our lifetime would have to deal with the plastic bag problem way before we would have to deal with fucking baby's diapers. Yeah, the plastic bag problem, though, 
I don't know. Wired had some thoughts about this because it's complicated, right? Because people are replacing them with cotton. But cotton is only 2.4% of the world's cropland. Correct. Yet it accounts for 24% of the global market for insecticides and 11% for pesticides. Okay. A pound of cotton requires 5,000 gallons of water. A pound of cotton requires 5,000 gallons of water. Wow. Yeah. So that's the whole thing Wired is saying. Now, Wired doesn't like pearl plastic bags like some of these weird blogs I read. So, but they are making a point that it's replacement. And it's a little risky. right, right. So it's like replacing one one evil with another. Uh, although I, the only argument I have for that is, first of all, the cotton bag will decompose. Uh, secondly, the cotton bag would you. The, it's a, it's about cost per use. So you would. F- probably use that cotton bag if you did it right you could technically use it for the rest of your life you know till it tears away you know uh so it's just getting so much more use than a normal plastic bag would um so i understand one pound of cotton it requires five thousand gallons of water and all the insecticide and all the land but uh it it holds the promise of the, the one way to look at it would be like, what is the carbon emissions coming from it every month or every year or something like that, you know? And what are the carbon emissions that you would have uh, if you were using plastic bags? And I promise you, the cotton bag would have lower greenhouse gas emissions than the plastic bag in the total lifetime that you're going to be using it for. Yeah, one takeaway they had from this article, really, like to sum it all up is... Maybe it's more about what goes in the plastic bag than the bag itself. Like if he said we eat one less meat dish a week, let's say, we'll create way less emissions doing that. And that will have a greater impact than even thinking, uh, not that we should ignore the bag problem, but that would maybe be an even better solution as just about what we put in the bags and leave the grocery store with than the bag itself. Absolutely. So we, we kind of tackle these two problems simultaneously on our planet right now. One is just greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, which is a bigger problem than plastic. And then this secondary problem that we have is just this monumental amounts of plastic waste that we have. Um, plastic, if you think about it, is all the carbon in plastic is actually trapped. So it's actually not that bad if you look at it from an evil perspective. It's like, okay, well, at least we have all the carbon still sitting in a bag. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever plastic sheet you have uh, instead of it being in the atmosphere. Uh, what if it's burned? Yeah. Then it goes and back into the atmosphere, right? It does. And not only that, it just produces, uh, the the process of burning plastic produces extremely toxic compounds. Uh, this is actually a huge problem in my country where they burn like a lot of plastic um, and the air quality drops, people get cancer from it. Uh, the whole, like the whole area is fucked because of it. Uh, also the plastic that melts uh, also leaches into the soil. Uh, as waste product and like goes into your rivers and things like that. Um, I have known people who have burned plastic for heat, you know, and it's and rubber tires and like all of that stuff. So it's it's terrible. It's like plastic is like the best and the worst thing at the same time. We need something for our containers, but totally. we need it to be biodegradable. Which brings us to our first guest. Priya Mittal, inventor of the 100% compostable Fetty Cup. That's F-E-T-T-E. It just sounds fun. Fetty, yeah. It does. Uh, We'll be right back with her. 
Hi, Priya. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, everybody, I'm proud to introduce one of the founders of the Fetty Cup, Priya Mittal. First of all, doing good while being bad one Fetty Cup at a time is the coolest slogan I've ever heard. <laughs> it makes sense you're working for NASA. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. It took like six months to come up with that, so I'm glad that you like it. It's extremely legit slogan. Like, I want to make that my slogan. <laughs> yeah, can we have that? <laughs> that might be our episode title. Um, yeah. Congratulations on carrying out a really cool, important idea, taking care of this cup situation and gathering a ton of great press. Uh, Business Insider calls the Feddy Cup sustainable. CBS Boston calls the Feddy Cup a replacement for the Solo Cup. And Boston Globe verifies Feddy Cups are plant-based, compostable, and biodegradable. Yeah, I mean, we started last January um, kind of creating this idea. We had a plan to launch in April and then got sent home because of the pandemic. So what we thought was going to be a really exciting launch on different universities spring weekend obviously turned out to be very different, um, but kind of a silver lining. We spent the entire year really sort of figuring out our branding and really what we stand for um, and how we can sort of be a company much larger than one that just sells cups apart from the given sustainability that you mentioned, our cups are transparent because we believe in this day and age, you should be able to see inside of your cup and know what you're drinking at all times. There's a really large sexual assault epidemic on college campuses, and we're trying to also fight and stand up against that as well. Um, Have you sold out at every campus you've premiered the cup at? Yeah, after that summer last year, we launched at Brown, Yale, and Duke in September and sold out within a couple of hours, which was really exciting. And now, sort of hyper focused on expanding to other college campuses, um, but working with a lot of organizations who need sort of the much larger scale of, I I need a thousand cups a weekend for parties that I throw all the way down to smaller clubs who, or individuals even who just need 50 packs every couple of weeks or stuff like that. So it's, it's exciting to work with a a wide variety of college students for sure. I wish my life was so interesting that I needed a 50 pack every couple of weeks, but (laughs) probably the last year for me. Yeah. Well, it's exciting to see a lot of older people we've got in from the press, at least a lot of, you know, upwards 60, 70 year olds, people who want to support our brand who are like, I throw porch parties every weekend and I want some cups. I'm like, of course, please take them. Um, So it's exciting to see it grow past just college students. I think especially recent graduates who understand the importance of sustainability, but also just it can be open to anyone. I think we're just specifically focusing on campuses right now because it's easiest to spread that way. Yeah. And I do think that the younger generation is interested in this kind of thing, sustainability and stuff. So it's totally. great that the colleges are getting on board with that. That's awesome. Totally. You should yeah. ask her how old she is. <laughs> how old are you, Priya? I'm 21. Um, wow. Yeah. How dare you? Whoa. How dare you work this hard? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I had yeah. to ask. Like, you want to save the world so bad, it seems like, yet Tejas is so interested in destroying it. So <laughs> why do you use your science for good? What brings you all this optimism? Or are you evil? Yeah, are you evil, though? Maybe it's, <laughs> this is a plot. <laughs> you know, I've I've always had this intense care for pr- protecting our planet. I founded a venture when I was 15 in New York. That's how Tejas and I initially connected on sustainability. Um, 
basically reducing the amount of ugly food that goes to waste in New York by connecting local farms to restaurants very much at the peak of the ugly produce phenomenon that has literally blown up right now. Um, so that was really exciting pre-misfit market very beginning stage of uh, stages of imperfect produce, which is really exciting. Um, I think that's in large part a lot of how I was raised to be a really conscious consumer of, you know, I think when people think of sustainability, they think turn the lights off and don't leave the water faucet on. But for me, it was always sort of more how can the decisions I make about the products I buy really inform the kind of consumer I am and the environmental impact that I can have. Um, so all the way from buying local, going to local farmers markets on the weekends with my parents was always instilled in me all the way to realizing as I grew up how I could incorporate sustainability with business, um, which has been really powerful. And I've had the opportunity to join innovation fellowships at Brown, all about social impact and social entrepreneurship, really understanding how those two worlds can be combined in a really meaningful way. So I would say it's always just been something that is just part of my life and part of who I am. And so it's just a really nice opportunity to to bring it to other people. Yeah, that's so cool. I think it's interesting what you said about turning off lights and the faucet and stuff, because that was definitely drilled in me as a kid. And it's it's so mm -hmm. awesome to see the next iteration of, of that kind of thing. It's totally. something that I think the three of us really aspire to to do, to be better consumers and stuff like that. Tejas has been kicking our asses about yeah. this issue. And um, as you can see, I have a yeah. reusable coffee cup right here. That was yeah. not a habit for the first um, <clears throat> 34 years of my life. So I'm sorry, planet. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really true. This generation really cares. And there's that whole phenomenon of voting with your wallet or the idea that you really showcase the issues that you care about through the products you consume. And I a hundred percent believe that to be true. I also think there's just such a, there's something to say for this idea of signaling, especially for this younger generation of when you hold a Fetty cup and, and you can be anyone in any club or organization and any social group, but you know, by holding that cup, the values that you stand for and what that signals that you care about the environment, you care about supporting a female and queer founded brand, you care about sustainability, you care about safety on college campuses, really without having to lift a finger. And you see all over people using products to signal what they care about to other people. So I think it's just a really interesting way to kind of pop on that trend. What about the name Fetty. Now you had a partner, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a co-founder. I met my co-founder um, in the Social Innovation Fellowship at Brown that I'm part of. Last Social year. Innovation Fellowship. That you apply um, and then get matched with sort of a local organization in Providence if you want to work in sort of like a more community building realm of the, the fellowship, or you can sort of spend your stipend on launching your own startup, whether that's a nonprofit or for-profit, et cetera. So I met my co-founder through that program, and then that's how we kind of came up with Fetty. And who, who came up with Fetty? Or did you argue about that? Or did you both just agree immediately on that name? Oh, my gosh. So we, we started working on this in January and I think we figured out the name in like June. It was the craziest, hardest process. I can't <laughs> even tell you. We had a Google Doc and constantly putting in random names that we both hated and she would really like a name and I'd really hate it. And then suddenly we came across Fetty. Um, in French, the word fet means party. Then we have confetti and funfetti and Fetty Wap and all these things that kind of feel like having a good time and fun, which is central to our brand. Um, and we just put a fun spin on it and just 
kind of changed the spelling of the word. But now when we see it visually with our logo, we can't imagine it being named anything else. So very exciting and worth the wait for sure. Yeah, I love the I love the research with the French and stuff. I think that's something yeah. that Ben and I need to do more because we often have to name things like, uh, we, you know, we do writing and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, we have to title it's things, we argue. How often he <laughs> hates something. He hates mm-hmm. it. He's so angry about it or something. <laughs> and then like two days later, he's like, you know, I was thinking about it. I actually really like this name. And yeah. by then I hate it. Oh. Yep, I would agree with that for sure. Fetty Cup, F E T T E, right? Yep. When I say it, I feel street. I feel yep. hip. I feel joy de vivre. And that's a long way to walk for Ben. So yeah, <laughs> I'm a dork, long, lifelong. So can we talk about the like the compostable aspect a little bit? Because I don't really think yeah. I understand how that works. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. first of all, what are these cups made out of? Yeah, so the cups are 100% plant-based. They're made out of corn, actually, but they look and feel like the iconic Red Solo cup in terms of, you know, the size are 16 ounces and also the sturdiness. We did numerous testing with a bunch of different potential cup options, having people play beer pong with their eyes blindfolded to make sure that they didn't have any sort of issues with the sturdiness of the cup in any capacity, but it's, it's really shocking. You could hold both of them at the same time and and not know the difference at all, which was really key to us Um, in terms of the compostability. They break down in 40 to 60 days, which is amazing because the red solo cups break down in like thousands of years. Um, And it's really exciting because I think college campuses around the country are in a shift right now of really introducing more composting bins and composting partnerships and things like that, not just with, you know, dining halls, but also residential dorms and things like that. So access to composting has become a lot easier and, and more accessible. So we're, again, hopping on that trend of, of really meeting our uh, college students where they are. Do you have any idea how many red solo cups are used yeah. every year? Yeah, so 8 billion solo cups are produced, consumed, and disposed of each year. And that's actually not even taking into account the hundreds of knockoff brands. Or I mean, when you go into a grocery store, down the grocery store aisle, there's red cups everywhere. And I, and I say solo because it's the most, I mean, people know it the most. But when you go down, there's, I don't know, a lot of knockoff red cups. If you go on Amazon, there's so many of them. People just, it's not even like people have a deep association with solo. It's, it's really the red cup. Um, so that's extremely problematic because that number will only be drastically higher. And on average, I think each college student probably uses three to five solo cups a night, which is so awful. So, um, especially at a time right now when colleges are finally opening up from last year, people are going out more than ever before. And the amount of solo cups being used are probably far greater than they were in previous years. So I think this is an especially important time to get our, our cups out. That's like one, more than one cup per person on the planet. Yeah. Far greater because people take it out and then they put it down and don't want to pick up one that they've put down, which is understandable. Also, a lot of people are like, why aren't you using reusable options? And the reality is that college students aren't going to play beer pong with mugs and then wash them out at the end of the night as much as I would hope that would be the case. So we're really trying to meet our customers where they are right now, which is using disposables. And then hopefully one day, if there's enough of a switch, you know, maybe maybe we can do that down the lo- down the road, but not right now for sure. Yeah. I mean, you can't play flip cup with a mug, so... Yeah, I don't know if I'm yeah. aging myself. The kids are still playing flip cup, right? <laughs> yes, here that I mean, yeah, that's that's very true. Um, Did you yeah, do just, some flip cup 
preliminary test to test the aerodynamics and stuff of that? I mean, of course, <laughs> of course. I've I've worked with uh, one of uh, a club at Harvard, and it's run by an older woman, and she was like, "No, I don't really know much about these solo cups, but can you play beer pong with them? Because that's all these kids care about." I was like, "Yes, don't worry." So there's no dye in the cup, right? Because it's transparent. So yeah. so that toxic part is also taken out of the equation. Yep. Um, our cups are transparent. They do have our logo on them, but again, the transparency goes back to that safety element. Um, and yeah, the entire, the entire cup is tra- uh, compostable and all of our packaging is also compostable. So the bag itself, the sticker that has our label in it, also making sure, you know, when a bigger organization orders it, the boxes that the cups come in are sustainable. The sleeves, the cups come in originally are sustainable. How do you do that? Is- How do you do sustainable film? Um, so we work with a manufacturer who's who's making and producing that compostable film. They're actually different than the manufacturer that we're working for the cups. So hopefully we can get to a point where they're both sort of manufactured in the same place just for the sake of ease. Um, but everything is manufactured domestically, which is really important to us to lower emissions as much as possible. Also, just to make sure that all the factories and everything in all the factories and everything, the workers are being treated ethically and um, just being taken care of, which you really don't have that oversight when you're working with overseas manufacturers. Um, So that's really, really important to us. Um, And that potentially leads our costs to be higher, obviously, than a solo cup, which is which you can buy at astronomically low rates. But that's really important to us. and, And we're seeing that college students actually care about those things, too, when they're buying the products. So college students, they like to play flip cup, they like to play beer pong, and because of that, there are 8 billion cups a year that will degrade in how much time? How much time does it take them to break down into poison? It's like over a thousand years, which is crazy. Um, and I don't know if that eight billion, I think that eight billion number is total, um, not just college students, but I can say probably with certainty, the bulk of it is college students, honestly. Um, yeah. I mean, college campuses have just opened up a lot of them in the past couple of weeks. And I've just been seeing crazy pictures of backyards just trash and people showing their main green campuses and it literally looks like a sea of red which is just so awful um so hopefully we can make a difference there a sea of red is never a good sign never (laughs) the way the disdain with ben says flip cup you can tell it went to drama school (laughs) (laughs) that game i actually played a pretty good amount of oh good good (laughs) beer pong i'm i I suck though i'm terrible i'm a drama people Um, say that our games are more fun with these cups so maybe i'll send you guys some and you can test it out oh i would love that yeah i was i was actually gonna say if there was a version of shark tank where the sharks had no money like that would be (laughs) us and we would totally invest with our zero (laughs) but i I would love to honestly buy some of these because they sound awesome where can we how can we get them I'll send you guys some. Yeah, but if this. we just want to buy them because we support this thing so <laughs> yeah. much, where would we buy such a thing? Um, uh, you can go on our website. It's www.rfetty.com, O-U-R-F-E-T-T-E.com. And our social handles are rfetty2 on all social. How did you get involved with NASA? And where are the UFOs? <laughs> are they sustainable? No, I really <laughs> would like to know. I found... When I was there, I found that they have this. Oh, my God. I don't even know what I should be saying, but whatever. They have this 
agency or like a part of their agency in California called, I don't know, it's something related to like things we don't know, some committee, something. And I wanted to try to get my hands on that, but couldn't. So I don't have any answers for you. I know that I wasn't allowed to do anything for National UFO Day on the marketing side, which I tried to do. And they said, absolutely not. So so that's another thing. But um, I have always been really interested in communications, always been really passionate about science and sustainability, um, really big photography person. So the Hubble Space Telescope was sort of my introduction to NASA always growing up. I'm not an engineer or scientist, so people always told me, like, you're crazy and you're never going to work at NASA. Um, I remember the SpaceX launch happening last summer, and I was sitting with my parents, and I was like, I'm going to work for NASA. And they were like, what are you talking about? No, you're not. You're not an engineer. You're not a scientist. And so I spent the entire summer reading astronaut memoirs. This is a true story. It's really hard to get in touch with people who work at NASA, but I somehow got connected and then got a job at NASA and in marketing communications as working for Goddard Space Flight Center, which is in Greenbelt, Maryland, but also got to work a lot with the Hubble Space Telescope, um, the James Webb Telescope, which is exciting and a lot of other related missions and got to work a lot on communications for climate related news articles. So some satellites tracking ocean pollution, plastic, stuff like that. So that sort of intersection was really interesting to me, but I think it really informed the work that I'm doing with FETI in terms of really when you talk about science and sustainability, it's really about creating content that is not just digestible to people, but engaging. And I think that's really important for college students specifically, because a lot of people are very intimidated by sustainability. They don't know a lot. They feel like they're not part of the conversation. They can't get involved. It's, it's really intimidating, for lack of a better word. So with FETI, we're trying to just make it as accessible as possible um, to not make anything with sustainability feel super um, heavy, to make it part of the conversation, to teach people how they can implement sustainability in their everyday lives without really having to do too much. Um, so that's kind of a big part of, of what I'm doing on the marketing side. But yeah, it was a really interesting experience for sure. So, I, so go ahead, Tejas. So do you ever sleep, Priya? No, sometimes <laughs> I ask myself that question. Yeah. But what time I'm do really you wake up? What time do you wake up? Um, I wake up at seven usually, and I go to bed pretty early, like ten thirty, eleven. Need my sleep. Um, but I'm really lucky to have a team now. That's that's been really great. We have around fifteen students helping with Fetty, and it's a really surreal thing to have, you know, an entire group of people who care enough to to be spending their time working on this this brand and this company with me. So I have a lot of help and I have great support systems. So I'm not, I'm not drowning yet. Do you offer, you know do you offer life coaching there. or anything like that? We need life coaches. She doesn't have time to coach you. <laughs> yeah. <she has> to. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's always time, which is what I've learned. When you're a billionaire, how little taxes are you going to pay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll let you know when I get there. Because there's a lot of loopholes, and yeah. we don't appreciate what you're going to... We don't appreciate it. Yeah, We're I'm over here paying taxes, okay? I'm still going to be on unemployment. We need your billionaire oh my taxes. <laughs> She'll give you some free cups. That's all that you're getting. Yeah, there you go. I'll I think, give you all the cups you want. I think it's so admirable to address a couple problems, or three even, in one product. So really, it's... we're. We, we're joking around a lot, but we're really just hats off to this product. We think it's amazing. 
Yes. Thank yeah, you. we're proud of you, Priya. Very, very proud of you. Thank you're you. killing it, and you're shaming us for our time. <laughs> I mean, Tay just did stuff with his life. He he does useful stuff. He you know he works hard. But Mike and I, we're we're. <laughs> yeah, I took an extra dance class when I had time off at school. Like I did not <laughs> take entrepreneurship. Should. You shouldn't say that on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I had to learn how to move. Uh, Priya, what's next for you? What, what's your next project? You're really excited about. You know, I'm I'm really hyper focused on on building out Fetty. I think there's a really sweet opportunity to enter the media and lifestyle space right now, which is what a lot of companies are doing. Um, I think there's a huge space to make sustainability part of the everyday conversation and something more fun and lighthearted than what a lot of it is today. And just hoping to spread to as many campuses as I can and and hopefully, you know, just just build a robust community of hashtag Fetty fam. We call it our ambassadors who are diehard. I'm never using a solo cup or anything other than Fetty again. And and also really doing our part to to shed light on sexual assault on campuses. We're doing a really fun campaign um, next week for Red Zone Week, which is the two weeks of college when freshmen are the most vulnerable. Um to assault and things like that. So really using our platform to speak out about those issues is is top of mind for me this year. And then, I don't know, I feel like I change my mind about what I want to do all the time. So I'll keep you posted. That's what I want to do right now and, and focus all of my time on. But um, always like building things and doing new things. So I could see myself doing something soon, but we'll keep you posted. That's all I got right now, though. I guess all you have to do is decide because it seems like when you decide you're going to do something, it gets done. Yes, that's what I, yes, I, when I put my mind to something, I do it, which is definitely my strength. So whatever that is, I know I'll be able to execute, but right now it's definitely only Fetty for me. Thank you so much for making time for us, Priya. Uh, Congratulations on everything you've achieved already for the planet. And as an entrepreneur, we're looking forward to seeing what you do next. Uh, That is Priya Mittal, the co-founder of the Fetty Cup, F-E-T-T-E. The website is OurFetty, O-U-R-F-E-T-T-E dot com. And their socials are at OurFetty. Thanks a lot, Priya. Thanks, Priya. Thank you so much. much, I appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll tell you the true origin story of modern day plastic and how phallic the whole thing was. Mm. Once enough elephants had died, the game of billiards began to suffer. In 1863, the neck-bearded Michael Fellon, the first U.S. champion billiards player and businessman, was thirsty for balls. In his respected book, The Game of Billiards, Fellon had this to say about the type of balls he wanted to play with. The balls should be of uniform size. Those of two and three-eighths in diameter, if made of the best East India ivory, close-grained and properly seasoned, will average a weight of seven ounces each, and are those best suited for the game. Felon was so deeply thirsty for balls, his company, Felon and Colander, set a reward of... Ten thousand dollars! A handsome reward. As he called it at the time, for anyone that could create a substitute for that fine East India ivory. In 1865, printer and inventor John Wesley Hyatt, normal beard but bald, would collect the reward. After a bottle of collodion spilled in his office, a fingertip coating substance used to prevent burns, Hyatt would find that the spilled liquid collodion had hardened into something hard. Immediately, he thought, This will be perfect for my balls. Hyatt's search for something hard that was also at times soft would result in celluloid, the first widely used plastic. 
replacing various phallic objects like tusks and horns, plastic would be the cure for these desperate men. Don't get me wrong, ladies needed it too. They needed something firm and curved for their corsets, brush handles, and false teeth. And it can last. From 1865 to 1980, from the year Abraham Lincoln was shot until the year John Lennon was shot, Humanity had no way to recycle this new substance. In that time, we deposited about 1 billion tons. That's 13% of all the plastic on our planet over 115 years. And yet somehow our thirsty asses have used up twice that number of billion tons of plastic in just the last six years. Two billion tons of plastic tossed away to slowly break down over hundreds or thousands of years, leaching poison into our water, soil, and grandchildren. Suddenly, plastic, by definition the first completely unnatural substance, has saturated the natural world. We are increasing the amount of plastic we throw away, mostly in one-time-use toxic packaging every year. Packaging. The plastic we need wrapped around our plastic. At this time, we are at about one ton of plastic per human being on this planet, and it will live longer than all of us. When we come back, we will talk about my favorite continent, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. It's difficult to measure the area. It's always moving. It's at least the size of Texas and might be as big as Russia. It's about 79,000 tons of plastic. About half of it is trash from fishing, plastic lines, ropes, and fishing nets. It's over 40,000 tons of that. All of this data is measured from the ocean's surface, not what lies beneath. So these are measurements that we just know is on the surface of the ocean, not, not all that garbage. It's underneath this garbage. Yeah, there's no data for that. 52% is fishing lines, fishing trash. 47% is hard plastic plastic sheet and film. Hard plastic could be components from your car, such as your dashboard. Sheet plastic is what's inside your TV or computer body, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. And plastic film is what's used in packaging. Then all of the above eventually break down into microplastics, measurable in nanometers, and these are what are the most toxic for us. Toxic for us, for the water, the soil, etc. You can't drink a plastic bag. But if you break it down into microplastics, you can. And we do. Microplastics have been found in human breast milk and on Mount Everest. In fact, there are so many particles of microplastics in our fish, humans should medically refrain from eating fish more than twice a week now. PFAs are extremely toxic to human health. Polyfluoroalkanites, PFAs, toxic at one part per billion and highly carcinogenic. Cardboard milk packages, popcorn bags, and much more contain PFAs lining the paper to prevent it from decomposing. So when you eat popcorn out of a bag, you're eating something that is touching something that is poisonous at one part per billion. You know, the car thing, the, the car um, being part of the, the water uh, littering. Ben had a family friend who drove an entire car into a lake once, so I bet he polluted the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, my dad's ex-lover, my dad met him at like a burrito, <laughs> like a Chipotle type of place. Not even Chipotle, like less known than Chipotle. 
this guy was like spoon and sauce and they made eye contact and it was a really heated moment they uh-huh. fell in love and then um that's nice his name was enrique or or kike so kike comes to live with us and uh we actually this was in high school i my dad took me to new york to audition for the juilliard school which i didn't even get a call back for and um while we were up there my dad gets this phone call from kike who had just managed to illegally buy a car with my dad vouching for him and somebody else putting it in his name and he illegally had this car. He said he had driven a lot before, but I don't think that was true because I'm walking with my dad on the streets in New York and I see his face just go completely white, just like total shock. And he's like, Kike just drove his car into the lake. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> he came back from the grocery store and uh, was pulling up to the parking space. We, we're in Florida. There's a lot of like man-made little lakes and canals and stuff. And we had one in our neighborhood that was right. The parking lot was facing it. And Kige was pulling up to the curb and uh, wasn't quite up there enough. And instead of releasing the brake to inch forward a little bit, he hit the gas and dum 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 went over the curb, went down the grass into the fucking lake. And there's like old people walking around this neighborhood all the time. Like everybody's retired. Everybody's walking around. People can see it. There's a guard driving around in a golf cart. Somehow nobody sees this car sinking in there for like 15 minutes. Kike almost drowned. He almost (laughs) drowned. He couldn't get out of the car. He couldn't get, he finally climbed out through the windshield and then he vomited water on the ground for like 10 minutes. Still nobody saw him. Wow. And to this day, nobody has ever contacted us about it. We've never seen that car. It's just still in the water in Bella Vista in Jupiter, Florida. Did he get any of the groceries out of the back before he escaped? (laughs) (laughs) Not only did he leave his groceries, he left his wallet in there. Oh, no. Uh, So if they find it, he's definitely implicated. I think so, but he's illegal, too. Yeah, that's a bigger problem there. He doesn't have an ID, right? So not only did he leave a bunch of plastic in that lake, he left a car, too. So it's a lot of polluting from Kike. Maybe a little bit of that car is somewhere on on our great pacific garbage patch (laughs) (laughs) some of it uh pfas are also in takeout containers pizza boxes sandwich wrappers the number one for mcdonald's uh all the fast food wrappers contain pfas you go get some fast food it's wrapped in something insanely toxic that will never break down and then instantly thrown away when you eat it and by the way you ate some poisonous forever chemicals too I think we're kind of like conditioned in America, at least, to like expect things to be packaged. So, like, if if something is packaged with a branded logo on it, right. then I know that certain corporate structures have been in place that this thing is going to be clean. It's going to be a uh, consistent quality product, and so it's like that's part of the symbol of something being safe for us to eat or consume or buy or whatever. So we need to change that right. mental perception because. What it really is is a bunch of shit that's never going to fucking decompose that that you're going to use for one minute, you know, five minutes while you're having lunch, and then it's going to be on the planet forever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And this is not just an American problem. This is a world problem. Yeah. It's crazy what we wrap our food in. Thing, what is it doing? How is it toxic? But What's over, the cause? So the, over the long term, um, that can cause cancer. Your body cells like start stop like you know uh, functioning the right way. The in of these PFAs right, is breaking right, 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 down. Right. Uh, conditions may include advanced heart failure, 
cancer, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and neurodegenerative diseases. Right. It also increases cholesterol levels, right. decreases vaccine response in children, changes in liver enzymes, right. increases risk of high blood pressure or preeclampsia in pregnant women, small decreases in infant birth weights, increased risk of kidney or testicular cancer. Right, yeah. And like when when babies are born, they drink their mother's breast milk. So even if they are not exposed to it, they don't eat McDonald's, you know, the mother would definitely pass it on. You, right. you are what you eat. Your body responds to what you eat. Um, and when you feed your baby, you are feeding basically all the toxic chemicals that you ate. Like, I mean, it's just coming from your like... Microplastics are found in human breast milk. Oh, yeah. It's like that is like super evident now, too. And when we say microplastic, what's the size of like a microplastic? Nanometers. Well, actually... Well, uh, compare it to something that I can... A sesame touch. seed. Oh, it's a sesame seed. It's a, a little bit smaller than a sesame seed. Like we're a eating them, we're drinking them, and we're breathing them. Ugh. Yeah, it's in the air, too. Well, first of all, how much microplastic is it safe to consume? None. It's not safe to have any. Yeah, zero. Despite that fact, the average American adult consumes between 126 and 142 tiny particles of plastic every day and inhales another 132 to 170 plastic bits daily as well, according to new research from the University of Victoria. Thank you, Canada, once again, for depressing the shit out of me. <laughs> so how are you They're inhaling? sorry. They're sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're sorry, eh? Reuters has this really cool article where they show on plates and cups and spoons how much we're taking in over time of plastic. Um, it says a plate full of plastic is the title of the the article. It's it's pretty shocking. Shit. Yeah, like at the beginning they show a picture of sesame seeds and a picture of microplastic next to it and they're, they're similar size. So, you know, that's the biggest kind of chunks of microplastic. And then they say every week we're eating a, uh, what is this, a miso soup spoon? full heaping full of plastic we're eating that every week every month is the actual miso soup bowl <laughs> half full of plastic and every six months is a full cereal bowl of plastic uh here in the picture they also have a cup of coffee and a little thing of cream for some reason next to it to just add to yeah the, it's like plastic <laughs> part of this balanced breakfast add to the mood uh and then every year it has a big dinner plate with a pile of plastic on it like we just eat a whole plate of plastic every year like piled to the top you know 10 years a five pound life preserver of plastic and in a lifetime a big plastic garbage can like the kind you wheel out in a house yeah like the, the one that, that you empty your trash into outside we eat one of those in our lifetime that's crazy amounts of plastic man yeah, it's nuts. Like, it's it's an insane amount of plastic. So yeah. how much of this is actually safe to eat again? None. None. Oh, okay. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> None of I it. mean, you could eat, like, a little bit and get away. But, like, statistically, it's okay. But But technically speaking you should not be putting that in your body i know it almost seems like like ben was talking about the circles of hell earlier like it seems like another one of the devil's punishments he like puts a big garbage can in front of you and he's like and you gotta eat this? it you gotta yeah. Eat. yeah 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 <laughs> that's basically what we do over our lifetime you know? yeah and like I, I can't believe like a cereal bowl of plastic i eat every six months you know that's crazy, man. That's yeah. like sitting every one one breakfast every six months and just eating plastic. That's literally what it is. Well, actually, it's even worse because 
before it becomes microplastic, before it's broken down into microplastic, it starts out as macroplastic. It's just a regular piece of plastic. You can eat a regular piece of plastic, and it will be somewhat toxic. But a microplastic is 1,000 times more toxic. Right. So that garbage can that you ate in your lifetime, it's a thousand times more toxic than that. Than just eating plastic bags if you... If like you if you just ate it. the garbage can right. wholesale, it's worse than... <laughs> yeah. That is or a it's great... not as bad as eating it as it's microplastic. It's a thousand times less bad than eating it as yeah. microplastics. So if you ate like a plastic bag, there is a good chance your body would el- eliminate it. But if you ate microplastic, there is no way that's coming out, my you friend. You heard it here, folks. Eat a plastic bag. It's good for you. <laughs> Relatively. A uh, few foods that get extra microplastics shellfish shellfish consume things and we consume them whole so we consume whatever whatever they consumed when you eat mussels you get 90 particles of plastic per serving oysters 50 particles of plastic per serving this this one dude this hurts me man because fuck i love oysters yeah I love it's oysters like snot too. it's just slurping some snot it's so fun yeah Tastes that- like the ocean 50 plastic 50 pieces you guys find it to be a little of an aphrodisiac oysters you ever eat oysters and feel like you're in the mood, or is it the opposite? I'm always in the mood. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess we're all always in the mood. Now, here's some really, really upsetting stuff, you guys. Uh, researchers at the University of Catania, Please Italy. Please say it more Italian. Catania. Thank you. This study discovered so many plastic particles in fruits and vegetables like carrots, lettuce, apples, and pears. Apples had one of the highest microplastic counts in fruit with an average of 195,500 plastic particles per gram. Notice they didn't test the olive oil. They couldn't go there. Like, <laughs> we, we cannot uh, mess up with the oil. You know what I mean? But, but it comes from olives. That must have some of these plastic Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just... when you buy something, even a pear or something like that, when it says made in Italy on it, you're like, it's a boom. This it's like, oh, this good. is a fine product. It, you know, uh, right? I almost think like this is going to have less plastic in it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was a lie. We throw away the plastic. They break down over hundreds of years, and then they leach into the water, and then the plants absorb that water that has the microplastic into their roots and then the roots distribute it to the vegetables and the fruits it's it's funny because like not a lot of plastic has truly broken down and we are already here so can you imagine what would happen in the next 50 60 years to come when the plastic actually starts breaking down in large quantities it's gonna then these yeah because now we're dealing with plastic that broke down on a much smaller scale from a long, long time ago yeah 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 and it's not probably i would say like what five percent maybe ten percent of all the plastic has truly broken down so um and can you imagine when it the factor jumps by 10 or something like that just like i think the microplastic that we keep drinking now is the actual microplastic that is generated not even the microplastic that has broken down you know it's just the microplastic we generate you know so for example like when you use tide pods that uh, plastic packaging you know just goes uh, into when, when hot water contacts it um, it dissolves and then becomes microplastic in nanometers and then it's just into your river systems toothpaste for example has actually a lot of microplastic 
built into it so that it's a good abrasive against your uh mm. against your tooth so holy shit yeah didn't know that huh uh there is actual microplastic in toothpaste so keep spitting it out so that is then when you rinse your mouth out with water to get the toothpaste out that's full of microplastic anyway <laughs> so you're losing lose on that one yeah the water's got it too there was a girl on my bus when i was a kid who used to get out of school by giving herself a fever by eating toothpaste oh i believe it yeah that that could that would definitely work yeah we once did the lice check in fifth grade and before i went into the nurse i stuck my head in a bush and just kind of rubbed it around in there and then when she had the big uh, microscope on my head or the uh, magnifying glass on my head she actually screamed and fell out of her chair because there's a bunch of ants in my hair and they looked huge that's (laughs) funny that's hilarious dude how did she give herself a fever by By eating toothpaste oh that's brilliant it is brilliant and cheap and readily available. And probably with horrible long-term effects. Probably. I mean, yeah. That girl was too. Eileen Warnos, who's now in jail. <laughs> um, so, yes, toothpaste has microplastic in it. There's, like, a lot of other substances um, that have microplastic. So, that has just leached into our society, you know. Or, like, in our land and our water. It's crazy. We haven't even broken down our plastic, to be, like, technically speaking... Just relatively, we haven't broken down any plastic, I would say. And yet, we are already fucked. So, can you imagine a future? I mean, there is Even right now, if we recycled 100% of plastic, we would still be fucked. Totally. Because there's too much already. There is too much already. Then why do it? And there's too much carbon, too. Just to slow down. Yeah. Just bias time. It might help people later on or something. I mean, I think if humanity is going to survive that long, 600 years, 700 years, we would definitely come up with a way to uh, break down plastic um, in in some kind of way. I mean, there would be some kind of a smart person who would come up with a solution for the problem. But in the meanwhile, that person comes along, you know, we need to like do everything in our hands to slow down the progress. As Ben said, uh, if we keep just adding plastic, um, it's it's going to be a plastic planet if it's not already a plastic planet. If we start using electric trucks and biodegradable packaging, we might start to be OK. In the near term, the only way to avoid total catastrophe is to buy less plastic. Oh, God. look. Uh, yeah, huh. but we definitely need to use less plastic, less packaging, right, and uh, less carbon into the atmosphere because the shit's heating up and the yeah. headlines are getting scarier and scarier every day. Yeah. There's some kind of freak weather thing happening somewhere on the planet every day that has not happened before. It's literally every day nowadays. Yeah. Like before, it was a month. A couple of like uh, five or six years ago, it was every year. And now I every day I read something that is like, and this is all interconnected. The story of plastic is also the story of climate change uh, because it ties into our ex- extraordinary energy consumption of like things that we use that we never use again. And the whole society runs in an open loop system. Um, so anything that we can do to stop this open loop uh, system, uh, we have to do it. And the only... M- short-term solution to the plastic uh, problem is to just not use it simply i got one for you how i'm helping i didn't buy pre-cut watermelon i bought a whole watermelon that's and I great cut it myself me too that's great 
And I was going to buy the pre-cut because I was on the go. And then I had Tejas's evil voice in my head <laughs> and I just bought the whole fucking watermelon. So <laughs> and that's that a is, positive thing. It is. It is great. And also that it ties into the meaning of life question Whoa. too. You know, because like when you cut a watermelon, if you really, really like looked at the watermelon you would realize how beautifully grown it is how complex the uh, the watermelon organi- uh, organism is you know there is a skin to it there is a shell to it and then you have to actually get into the flesh you know just stripping down right now just so you guys know it's a little too into fruit <laughs> no i'm just saying like skin to it so you can up <laughs> you can up you can cut a hole in it you can do anything you can hey just get your hand out of your pants Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some positive things. India has banned a long list of single-use plastics. I'm going to list them. It's important to know what the fuck is single-use plastic. That's a direct quote from Tejas. He's angry. Number one, cups, plates, spoons, coffee stirrers, forks, straws, and other cutlery made up of plastic. Those items are now illegal in India. Wrapping films for packaging, like on candy, cigarettes, etc. Banned. That's how serious the problem is. Some other common items that will no longer be available are plastic bags, earbuds, flags. Even even woke flags. Even woke flags. (laughs) Yep, any flag. Balloon sticks, PVC, and plastic banners. Welcome Um, to India, the land of the least... Decorated birthday parties. Um, well, it's uh, <laughs> so. First of all, the the law was passed. Uh, I just checked it out. Um, the ban is actually going to go into effect next year in June. So there's still one year uh, before it's fully banned. Uh, but they passed the law, so it will happen. Another positive thing that's happening: Malawian activist Gloria Majiga kept finding goats who had died in their pastures from plastic ingest- ingestion. So these goats are out there eating the grass, and she was just finding dead goats everywhere because they're eating so many damn plastic bags that it's blocking their stomachs, and they're dying agonizing deaths. Uh, Gloria Majiga recently won the Goldman Environmental Award for pushing her local government to institute a ban on single-use plastics in Malawi. If you've never heard of the Goldman Environmental Award, this year's ceremony will be hosted by Jane Fonda and will feature Sigourney Weaver and Lenny Kravitz. So They just got to spice it up to make people interested, but I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I love me some Lenny. Here's a quote from Gloria after pushing her local government to regulate single-use plastics. Hi, Mulibuanchi. My name is Gloria Majika, and I'm from Malawi, the warm part of Africa. I'm also the 2021 Goldman Environmental Prize winner for Africa. Thank you so much, the Goldman Foundation, for recognizing the work that we've done in trying to end the plastic problem. Malawi is not the first country to regulate plastics. Many countries around the world are regulating quantities and types of plastics being produced and used. But we're still drowning in plastic. You and me need to start making these policies a reality. We need to start making different choices, different decisions. We need to start refusing plastics and start reducing our part of the waste. We can do it. We've won one battle against plastics. And we know we can win the war together for our planet. Thank you so much. 
nuts, again, from Malawian plastic activist Gloria Majiga. And she, oh my God, she is so charming. Like, her energy is so infectious. Like, I want to buy something from her. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> That's consumer. great. It's, like, so innocent and, like, not cynical. It's just, you can only find that kind of optimism in a third world country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, back to that quote. I just we just had from uh, Gloria Majiga. I want to just tell you something interesting. When we were scouring the internet for good news about the environment, because there isn't much, both Tejas and I remembered these activists as guys. I was like, this African guy realized the goats were dying because of plastic, and, and Tejas replied, oh, there's another African guy who made bricks out of plastic waste. It turns out both of them are women, but we remembered them as guys. Many women are taking the lead in solving these world problems, that's, that makes me so happy. Uh, I'm so happy to be wrong about something like that. Mm -hmm. Our great example of that is our Fetika founder, Priya, because, you know, there's another example of women leading the charge yeah. to save all this shit. Yeah. Definitely. Another one is Nizambe Mate and her company, Genji Makers, in Nairobi, Kenya, convert plastic waste into lighter, stronger bricks for paving and construction materials. So far, they have cleaned and recycled 20 tons of plastic into bricks. Concrete is a major source of pollution. Genji Maker's bricks are twice as light and two times stronger than concrete. Wow. Essentially, mm -hmm. companies have to pay to dispose of their plastic waste anyway, so Genji Makers get the trash for free, mixing plastic waste with sand at high temperatures and pressing it into bricks or building materials. The bricks are also harder and more durable than normal bricks. So it's cheaper, it's less pollution, they're twice as hard, and they last twice as long. Wow, and awesome. they're uh, lighter. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, the plastic actually never breaks down, so technically it could last for way oh, longer. Yeah, it makes yeah. Sense to yeah, make, yeah, yeah. It makes a lot more sense to make bricks out of it than a cup you're going to use for right. five minutes. It's ironic, right? Is that something that's possible now? Can you get yeah, your yeah. home fabricated? Yeah, there is this company called Boxable um, that uh, makes Boxable. Like, Boxable. Uh, it literally the the whole home can fold. And be shipped onto you in a box um, and then can be opened up and completely made uh, on site. So it's prefabricated, pre-constructed, -pre consumes the least amount of carbon emissions of any construction uh, type out there. Nice. Um, and you get all the facilities that you need for it. Uh, God, I love hearing good news. This is really cool. I'm looking at Boxable.com, B-O-X-A-B-L.com. And they're showing how they ship this like shipping crate and then they just like open it up and it's a house. Isn't that so <laughs> cool? Uh, you know who lives in a house like that? Who? Elon Musk. Really? Yeah, he sold all of his homes and now he lives in a boxable home. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool, right? Yeah. It's And it only costs 50 grand. So you can buy a piece of land. Uh, well, that's the promise. 50 grand. It'll probably be more when it actually comes out. Uh, but... It's cheap and you can buy a home and you can actually live and have all the facilities without like truly harming, harming the environment around it too. Now, my only issue with this is um, it's 375 square feet and 9 point, 9, 9 yeah, foot Yeah, it's, it's a tiny home. Yeah. So 375, that's like smaller than the smallest apartment I've ever lived in. It is, it is a tiny home, but it's a startup company. Eventually, it'll get bigger. It'll get bigger? Yeah, 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 for sure. Nice. Um, what other good news do we have? Mycelium Ecovation are creating mushroom-grown bags. So we talked about plastic bags and the harmful effects. We talked about cotton bags and how they also have a 
an impact with 5,000 gallons of water required for a pound of cotton. Ecovative Design came up with mycelium growing techniques that will basically grow a bag. It'll like uh, grow a mushroom bag. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, Seems like a video game or something. I can't believe that's real. It's made of fucking yeah. mushrooms, this thing? Have you seen the guy Paul Stamets? Uh, who who's like on Joe Rogan podcast and stuff? He's he's making a name for himself in the mushroom world, the health benefits of mushrooms and stuff. And he has this hat; it looks like a leather hat, but it's grown out of mushroom. Oh, that's cool. He wears that everywhere as a conversation piece or whatever. So mycelium is the root of the mushroom. Um, so that's what is actually used uh, for making all the products. Uh, the mycelium network is like extremely complicated and like it can interweave. Uh, the roots can interweave amongst themselves. So if you like put them in a closed uh, space, all the weaves like get more interconnected and it's a much, much, much stronger bond. Um, and it has the properties. It can be a foam. It can be used as, uh, it can be made with, uh, it can be used to make slippers. It can be used to make food packaging. It, it's got like a variety of, uh, uses. Uh, Paradise Packaging Company actually grows consumer packaging. So you can cut custom packaging to size in seven days. When you buy a product, the packaging comes in, it comes in, can be broken into pieces and thrown away to biodegrade. You gotta compost it like a fatty cut. Yeah. Yeah, you, uh, yeah, or you can like tear it and put it in your backyard or something like that, and then it'll just like biodegrade, you know? Oh, that's nice. That is yeah, cool. it's better than like just throwing plastic away that never degrades. Yeah. As no it chance. degrades into poison. Yeah. <laughs> Forever. Forever. Uh, at last, Food Company is a new startup that has created actually convincing fake bacon from mycelium. They raised $40 million already. In That's their, pretty uh, promising. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and looking at pictures of it on Forbes.com, it looks great. It looks like real bacon. So mm. we'll see. I would, I would try that out. Mm-hmm. Mycelium has the potential to completely eliminate the use of styrofoam. As we know, styrofoam is non-recyclable and breaks down into pure poison. Neri Oxman is a superstar scientist who is a material ecologist, a term coined by her. She and her team at Yale developed a novel method to build a dome using silkworms. The basic panel was laid out by a CNC machine, and silkworms were allowed to build through the dome. Okay, I don't understand what that means. Can you explain that, Tejas? So basically, so when you build a dome, you need like some kind of a base structure, uh, and then you cover it with like some kind of film or something like that, you know? So the basic structure was cut out by a CNC machine, which is just like a fancy machine that like cuts all the lines and the exact shapes you want from a sheet. So then they cut those things, then they put it, assembled it, and then they let silkworms take over the whole dome. uh, And the dome was built by silkworms completely. So essentially she created a piece of construction using natural Right. Processes. Right. So like was, she made a frame and then the silkworms built the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is that in the future we would have like silkworm farming where we we actually make uh, we like uh, ha- we have lots of silkworms that actually just go over buildings and just start using like they, they just build it for us instead of us going and building it. So there's two advantages of I it. I love that idea. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, and it they, it's proven to scale like on, at some level, you know. Um, and the idea is that first of all, it's uh, 
silkworm farming so it's very very less water intensive compared to any of our manufacturing processes uh everything is biodegradable because it's just silk um but silkworms actually interweave it correctly instead of us how we interweave it uh we just we just do crisscross polymers you know uh, or like some other fancy stuff uh but silkworms are actually capable of doing it completely randomly and can adapt to different conformed environments and do it correctly you know for that specific environment which no machine can do right now you know um so it's a much 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 stay much much more stable build um probably and scale is cheaper to do and it's completely biodegradable um and releases the least amount of greenhouse gas emissions so Neri Oxman and her team at Yale is figuring out a way to to build stuff out of natural means. For instance, she reverse engineered a shrimp shell, right. the material that makes up shrimp shell and was able to use it for 3D printing. This basically opens up the possibility for printing fully biodegradable structures out instead of using plastic extremely cool right so they like took the shellfish uh, uh, uh the shell out of the shellfish uh, uh sorry of the shrimp and then found out what exactly it is made out of and then used synthetic biology to like reproduce it uh and they were like okay this is completely biodegradable now uh it's called lectin i think uh so uh, and then you just make lectin in different viscosities which is basically fancy word for how thick it is um and then put it in a 3d printer and then now you can print in like multi material mode so now you can have thick materials very thin materials uh, soft materials hard materials and the same like composition so you can make like a shrimp gun you can make a shrimp I don't know why I went right to gun but <laughs> I shoot shrimps out of it <laughs> oh even better uh it's funny um but but uh, it again holds the promise of fully biodegradable structures with the least amount of greenhouse gas emissions and can be completely automated um so you could have a 3d printer like ship to like some spot that you want to build and then the 3d printer just builds a home for you using like biodegradable materials without Hopefully the printer itself is even made of shrimp and you're in business <laughs> oh for sure yeah yeah you 3d print a shrimp printer and then you throw away the original 3D printer in a recycling bin. And then that shrimp printer prints out more shrimp stuff. <laughs> so they use only one uh, plastic and printer. And saved. Yeah. I mean, that's what they want to do on Mars is like yeah. build robots that build more robots, you know. Um, oh, man. Here we yeah. go. Build more shrimp Wally robots World. that build more shrimp robots that build a silkworm robot. Yeah, yeah. It's a fractal <laughs> system. Yeah. That's actually really fucking cool and kind of relaxing to hear about, like, good stuff, you know. Yeah, but. yeah. It's cool. It's so cool. You should check her out. There's, like, so much more stuff they do. They, like, do all these art designs with it, too. They look absolutely stunning. And you can't believe that it's completely, like, 3D printed biodegradable material. Um, Neri Oxman actually goes as far as saying that if you really wanted you could use this technology to completely eliminate plastic altogether all you have to do is just make up your mind and like take the technology she's like we made it just take it you know 
It's amazing. Like when I think of a shrimp shell, I think of something that's going to sit in the garbage fucking forever that it's like never going to decompose. But a shrimp shell will decompose so much faster. Oh, for sure. Any yeah, yeah. Piece of plastic. And and it's so act- much faster. Yeah, and it's natural, so it doesn't leach into your soil. It's just like natural material. Like the shrimp was born and lived its life, uh, and then it died, and it's been happening for millions and millions of years. You know, so why would anything else happen to it? You know, now at this point, I think a lot of us are using plastic out of habit and for a slightly lower cost maybe with materials out there like this right it gives us another option yeah i got another good thing from my favorite irish restaurant mcdonald's they have switched from plastic straws to all paper straws like you know those things that get stuck up a sea turtle's nose like how much cocaine are those sea turtles really doing you know yeah how much <laughs> why do they always have straws stuck up their nose I'm really proud of my guy, McDonald's, for switching to these paper straws. Now they'll be more recyclable. Great job, McDonald's. They're not recyclable. What do you mean? It's too thick for it to be recyclable. Were the were the plastic straws recyclable? Nope. That's not very relaxing. All right, well, I guess we're all fucked. <laughs>